0: you are listening to the Sask Wedding Podcast. If you're a bride-to-be or just love weddings, we created this show just for you. I'm your host, Matt Ramage. I'm the owner of MJ & Co. Stories, a photography and film company based in Saskatoon. On this episode, we have our guest, Evan Neufeld. Evan is a financial planner at Ens Baxter Wealth Management here in Saskatoon. He is also the host of the Canadian Money Roadmap podcast, which is focused on personal finance. Welcome to the show, Evan. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Today I wanted to cover two things specifically, uh, and then we'll we'll talk about managing money with actually planning a wedding. But but I, the reason I wanted you on the show is I wanted to cover a couple of things. The first one is how to manage money while planning a wedding, and then and then some things to be aware of when a person goes from handling their own money to being in a relationship. Now um, the I Googled this and I remember from my own marriage counseling that the number one cause of stress in a marriage is is money like statistically that's the one thing that's on the top of the list um, causing stress in marriages and uh, it seems like it's something that's avoidable um, that you you don't necessarily have to get into a bad state like that now you work with hundreds of families across Canada is is that true have you seen um, you know money being a a center point for stress in, in relationships yeah, good question,
1: Matt. I, uh, As financial planners, we kind of have a selection bias problem where the people that we typically work with are the people that are actively trying to improve their finances already. And so from my clients, I don't see it as much necessarily, but I've seen the same stats that you have, that the number one cause of divorce and arguments in marriage is money. So when people come into my office and sit down at my desk, they're not having active arguments here. But my job as a financial planner is to inform people about the impact of their decisions. And so hopefully they can take that information back home and it'll cause fewer arguments. Because I'm a big believer that um, there's no set rules when it comes to managing money, but you have to have your own system and once you have your system, you have to communicate with your partner about what's going on with it. That doesn't mean that everybody has to be an expert, but as long as you have a basic idea of what's going on, that'll hopefully limit as many
0: arguments as possible. So, what kind of like you know, having that communication, that that plan, like what what kind of act like? So, for me, I've I've had I've I've had people reach out to me uh, when I was in my early years of my marriage, asking if I wanted a financial planner, and I. My initial feeling was always like, "Oh no, I don't have extra money to save," and so I just avoided it. Uh, you know, what's some actions a person in that situation could do to, you know, kind of move move forward in their life and take control of their finances?
1: Yeah, so if we're talking about things that you do early on. Um, actually, on my podcast, I talk about some of the financial foundations that you should have uh, in place first before you start worrying about things like investing and growing your money. There's a lot of things that you can do in advance of that to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success in advance. Um, one of the, the first ones is budgeting and I, I personally hate budgeting and you're so you're not alone the there. that I, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and so my on my podcast and what I tell my clients is that you need to have a, a system and your system should automate as many things as possible. This is a little bit more of a long-term thing, but you the sooner you start it, the better. Uh, so things that you know that you want to do every month, like debt repayment, paying your bills on time, putting away some money for a rainy day, and then saving for uh, the long-term and, and doing some investing. All those things that you can automate, I would say start there so you don't have to waste any brain capacity on things like that. So for good first step, take a look at all of the things that are leaving your account every month and see how many of those things you can automate instead of having to choose to do them every month.
0: So for example, having a savings account with an automatic you know, biweekly payment on your payday to that savings account or like that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So for example, like property tax, some people have it
1: come off their mortgage. Um, I pay it annually. And so what I do, I prepay it by essentially saving over in a savings account. So when I get paid, I have my, um, my property tax amount kind of goes over to another holding account. And then when time comes to actually pay that bill,
0: I've got cash on hand and I don't really have to worry about it. It's ready to go. Sounds awesome. It sounds like, like having, like I've been in that place where I've had a big bill come that I wasn't expecting. Right, and then uh, to catch up on those kind of bills can really, really be challenging. So yeah, I can see how automating that would be good. Um, in In our family, we've even automated our kids' allowance every week, and uh, and we have a a policy with them that they aren't allowed to borrow money from us. Um, (laughs) We want we want them to, you know. And I'm like, you know, there's this there's this. there's this uh, philosophical idea that you can't do good or bad things unless you have the power to do good or bad things. And uh, as as a kid, I didn't have a lot of access to money. Like, I didn't get an allowance. It was kind of like I'd get toys at Christmas or my birthday. That was kind of it. And we live in a different time now where there's a lot more uh, wealth around. Um, Like, you know, kids, like just families in general, I seem seem to have a lot more uh, disposable income. And so then that's kind of why my wife and I decided to just like, hey, we're going to give it to the kids. My my youngest is four years old. She gets $3 a week. Like not nothing, but not uh, not a lot, but it builds up over time. It's automated. And they always ask us how much do they have. And if they want something, we're like, okay, this is how many months it would take to get an iPad Pro. It would take 18 months or whatever, you know, whatever it is. So, (laughs) um, you know, and mixing all your birthday money. So just like that's been a thing for us that's been important. Just sort of like. Uh, building in a little bit of that for our kids. And then having it automated as a parent has been good because then it's not hard to honor that commitment we've made to the kids where if it was cash, like if you run out of cash, then if they have a weekly allowance or whatever it is, you know, you might miss it or it's three months later, you're like, oh, which ones did I pay you for? So yeah, I, I exactly. really like that. And, and people, And people do that
1: all the time, not just with things to their kids. Like... Th- Like, I'm sure you've had that conversation in your house of like, oh, shoot, did we pay that SASC power bill? Um, Did you cover that this month? Or, you know, uh, oh, yeah, we've totally been saving. And then you go back and look at the end of the year and it's like, oh, wait, no, we actually didn't save as much. Or charitable giving is another big one that people say they want to prioritize. Then once they start counting up all their uh, charitable receipts at the end of the year, you realize, oh, my goodness, I didn't give nearly as much as I thought. Right. So things like that, the more you automate it, the less... um, you know, stress you have in the moment and the less regret you'll have at the end of the day.
0: What's, what's that saying? Money not seen is something... I, my dad said it to me the other day. Oh, uh, well, I don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys know? I got my team here beside me. Anyway, it was... Yeah, anyway. Is it a version of out of sight, out of mind? It's got, basically, but in basically, a good way? Basically, it's like when you get your money, you pay your bills and then... Like money not seen then you don't feel so bad about not having it. So I'll remember it later. Right, right after we hit the record button to stop this, I'm going to remember it and feel like, oh, I should have <laughs> remembered that. Um, let's talk about marriage. So sure. Um, now a lot of couples are coming into relationships at different points. Some are like, some, it's like around the marriage when they first get their home. Some it's like years before. Um, but But there's that one point where you go from like, you know, not being in a household with your partner to being in a household with your partner. Um, you, you, mentioned debts, bringing debt into the marriage. So like, how does how how could someone, you know, get going on that? Like, how do, how should couples treat that? Should couples treat it like, well, you brought that debt in that's yours. You cover that yourself or, you know, should a couple get into like a sharing mode or is there a best practice? Yeah, is a good question. Um, I'm, Kind of like I mentioned, there's no right or wrong
1: way. It's just whatever works for you guys. So you know, a number of couples could have similar levels of income, similar levels of debt, or there could be uh, the complete reverse where someone could come into the relationship with a pile of debt, but the other person is the one that makes most of the money in the household. And so for each of those situations, the answer is going to be very, very different. So I always recommend that people talk about things first. So that means before getting married, talk to your partner about money and understand what each person brings into the relationship. So you mentioned debt, but also assets. So like if one person already owns a house, um, how are you going to manage that? There's no right or wrong way necessarily, but essentially, um, and now I'll maybe touch on some legal things here. (laughs) Try not to put anybody to sleep, but I'm not a lawyer and every (laughs) province is different. But essentially the things that you bring into the marriage are yours. And then the things that are established in the marriage are shared. Um, And so when it comes to sharing a bank account or having your own and some person pays the bills, the other person pays the debt, all those kind of things, it doesn't really matter as long as you have that system and you stick to it. I usually recommend that people share as many things as possible um, because like I said any income that you earn any assets you accumulate when you're married um, those are all shared items if you were to get divorced I don't I know this isn't a divorce podcast but well it's good to talk <laughs> about
0: I think because Exactly there's a lot yeah. of like so it, ideas around this like I've heard you know prenups do they work or not I mean not that you're a lawyer but you know it seems like it seems like you know people don't understand that like when you are even common law with someone or married like there's this sharing and then when if if there's a you know a uh a, whatever you call it a, a divorce or a, a separation like those things have to be split and uh yeah it yeah and and you can you can be as
1: generous as you want at that time like it's not you know, you're not stuck with one thing if one person says, okay, just have that and whatever. That's that's up to the lawyers and you to decide. But at the end of the day, if it's going to get down to the nitty-gritty, everything gets split anyways. So you might as well share it while you're there and then have that conversation about how this is all going to get paid. My wife and I, we share everything. Uh, she came into our relationship with a little bit more student loan debt and I'm, I purchased uh, a business and things like that. So we have different types of debt. Um, different things like that, and we've purchased cars with a car payment. So it it gets a little bit complicated if you try to split everything evenly, and so we decide we just share everything. It makes things so much easier. We don't worry about anything like that.
0: Okay, that that segues into this next part then really well. So you're sharing. Now, my wife and I also sp- like share our income, so we don't split it. We just share it. But how do you spend... Um, how do you like, let's talk about spending. Like, yeah. you know, if you're sharing everything, do you, do you talk like, is it a best practice to talk to your spouse? Is it good to have like an allowance? Um, I mean, we're all adults here, but like, you know, the worst thing that can happen is like too much spending happens by one party. There's a the resentment that builds up. And then all of a sudden you have this loving couple who has like ma- major struggles just because of, you know, a difference or, you know, a lack of understanding of finances. So yeah, Totally. Um, you know, how, how, how do you handle that?
1: Yeah. So talking about spending is the big one. Like I'm kind of beating a dead horse about the communication thing here, but it, it really is the most important thing. So when I speak with couples, almost 100% of the time, one person in the relationship is a spender. The other one is a saver. Have you experienced something like that?
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious yeah. if it's like a, a natural thing. You feel the safety of the other person. You know, if the other person's like a saver, then you're like, "Oh, I can just spend all the money. We got lots of money." And then the other person carries all the burden of all the stress. So, yeah, and and often um, is you know the person
1: that is more comfortable with spending is often the person that's uh, less willing to, you know, dig into the finances and and know this, and they say, "Oh, I'm not a money person. That's his or her job." You know, um, and so. My recommendation is to always, always, always communicate about what is going on with the money, even though it's, it is pretty natural for one person to kind of take the lead on things that's going to happen. It doesn't mean that everybody has to share the burden equally of uh, understanding everything that's going on. But if you're the person that's not confident with money, if you know three things here, um, you're going to be in pretty decent shape, um, to prevent some arguments. So first one, where does the income come from? This sounds a little bit silly. Uh, most people just have employment income, but other people have other sources of income or other side jobs and things like that. So where does the income actually come from and how much is it? Um, so that's the money coming in. The second one is what needs to be paid every month or every year. So some things that get paid every month, you know, your utilities, cable, cell phone, um, things like that. And then some annual ones might be property tax. Um, I just had to buy winter tires, you know, hopefully I hopefully won't have to do that every year, but you know, some of those big things that might come up at certain times of the year gifts. That's another big one that people kind of ignore. Yeah. I was just going to say Christmas, Yeah,
0: Christmas comes it just, just all of a sudden shows up after every, you know, after November, it just happens. And it's like, where did that come from? Yeah, you exactly. Know? So knowing in <laughs>
1: advance what comes in, what needs to go out, And then how much debt you have. So the reason that the debt is so important is that the debt is always the first thing that comes for your money after you earn it. And so understanding how much debt you have, where it is, and what it costs you, that'll kind of give you a good picture of how much of your own income needs to go somewhere else before you're able to spend it. So even though if you're not a money person, I'm pretty sure you can kind of sit down and have this conversation with your partner about Where does the income come from? And how much is it every month approximately? What needs to be paid every month? And then how much debt you have? If you have a handle on those three things, you're going to be in really good shape.
0: I like that. And I think it's, I think, you know, what you said about just like saying you're not a money person. I think, yeah, like you can't use that as a cop out not to be part of that conversation. I remember my wife and I did a, I'm sure you've heard of Dave Ramsey. I think you've actually referenced him on your podcast. Yep. Yep. Um, he, he, he talked about it, it as like couples have to come together and you can't just have one person do the budget. Like both couples have to do the budget together. Both cu- couples have to understand what's going on. And I, and I think that just puts the two, two people on the same page, which, you know, goes to your comment of communication. Like, you know, th- that, that forces a sit down and under, and understanding. And, you know, there's a, there's a part to it. That's like, it, it might be painful, like, especially if you have a, a large amount of debt, it might be actually painful or even credit cards. It might be painful just to sit and like face the facts. Right. And so it might be the thing that you've been avoiding for months, years even. And that first time you sit down might be the hardest. And then after that, it's not so bad. Like you have a, like there's an anxiety that goes away when you, when you make those first steps to taking control of your, your finances that, that that's what I've experienced. So. Right.
1: Yeah. And and Dave Ramsey references like his, uh, his baby steps, um, those things, it, it sounds kind of, uh, I don't know, juvenile, obviously, baby steps, um, but they're really, really important things to kind of get things started. So if people are looking, look up Dave Ramsey's baby steps to uh, for your money, and uh, yeah, those would be good places to start. I've, I've kind of alluded to some of them already, but you mentioned, um, you know, one person doing the budget and things like that. Yeah, I'm a big, big believer of each person in the couple taking up some sort of responsibility over part of uh, part of the money. So, for example, my wife makes sure that she takes care of all of the bills every month. Some of them are automated, like I mentioned, but some of them aren't, and so she makes sure that all those get covered. Because I'm more naturally the "quote unquote" money person. I take care of the investing and uh, and some of the debt repayment and things like that. Uh, but we're both participating every month, um, you know, in each way that we feel comfortable.
0: And by doing that and making that a habit, is this like something that's caused money to like, do you, I mean, this is a personal question, but does is money, something you even fight about or, or let's say, let's say not fight, but like causes stress. Is it, is that stress basically not existent in your uh, relationship? Um, it's less like, I don't
1: think money stress ever disappears, but you can limit it. And by communicating what's going on or, just having that frank conversation of saying, you know what, this month, this isn't going to work or we're not able to buy this gift this year or, you know, the the large purchase that we were hoping to make, you know, this changed and so we can't make that purchase this month. And as long as you're just straight up and honest about it, it prevents the fight after the fact, in my mind, um, it doesn't make it any easier um, at the beginning but I'd rather have a tough conversation than have a huge debt to pay that actually, you know, impacts my
0: money. Um, but that's that's more of a relational thing, I think, with your partner than anything. For sure, yeah. Um, I th- I think those are really really important parts. Um, earnings disparity. So we you talked about sharing, and I mean when when you're and we can talk about this maybe with children and growing a family. Is there any like tips? You know, you know, typically. Uh, people who get married tend to have kids. I've, I've photographed many weddings in my life. And uh, a lot of those people start families uh, f- actually very soon after. And uh, there's this thing where they might even be like two working professionals, um, you know, making, you know, double income, no kids. They might've just bought their first house or, or looking to. And then all of a sudden, you know, mom's taken out a commission because, well, because she became a mom and she's not earning. Is there a conversation that a couple should have before um, starting their family? Like, is there some, or I mean, even just some like, you know, just to sit down even and maybe be like, okay, with you on mat leave, you know, mat leave doesn't, depending on your job, your, your mat leave isn't going to pay you what you were making before, mixed with that new house you just bought. I mean, what kind of conversations should couples have before uh, starting a family? Sure, so when it comes to, money and planning for kids.
1: Uh, The best part is that it typically takes nine months before it becomes a reality for you (laughs) once, you know, (laughs) um, and so use that time to plan, right? So depending on um, your job, you may or may not have a topped up mat leave. Uh, You might be on EI, Um, you know, things to keep in mind. There is the potential reduction in income, and then there's also benefits that come on the other side of it. So once you have the kids, uh, here in Canada, we have the Canada Child Benefit. Um, I won't quote specific numbers because it's all it's always different depending on your income level and what the government has decided to do <laughs> that year, it seems. Um, but essentially, there are other sources of income that do start once the kids come. And so just sitting down and doing a little bit of research Um, for yourselves uh, to see what you might qualify for. Those would be good places to start before worrying about, oh my goodness, how are we going to pay for all this stuff? Just take a calm, cool, collected approach. Um, And what I would recommend you do is that as soon as you're starting to plan for kids and expanding the family, which coincides with a reduction in income, start putting aside some money. So like a rainy day fund or an emergency fund, as I often call it. Um, I find most people actually end up Um, not being as impacted as they thought they would have been, but at the very least, then they have some cash set aside. So in case the, uh, the reduction income is more impactful than they had planned,
0: they've got the cash ready to go so they can keep going. Well, yeah, I think that part you said about it doesn't change as much as they think, like your lifestyle completely changes and you know, the places you may have been spending um, your extra money isn't there anymore. And, uh, you know, you might not be going out as much, especially well for sure. You won't. I can speak from experience having children. You're not going to be going out to restaurants as much or doing as many things. And so, there's there's some easy change, like big changes that just happen. And you like it's almost like your your life. Yeah, your life isn't as impacted as you thought it would be.
1: Right. Like I just think of like our uh, our situation here. Like last summer, for example, we um, I kind of paired a business trip along with some personal time out in Kelowna and Kelowna's wine country. And so we said, "What we're going to take the afternoon and do wine tastings and all these different things. You buy some bottles of wine and whatnot. I'm not saying you can't necessarily do that with kids, but you're probably not. (laughs) You know, like some (laughs) of those types of things, like activities that you choose to do, they're going to change and they're often cheaper. You know, like going going to a park and, and, you know, playing outside with the kids and whatnot, as opposed to going to fancy restaurant. That's an extreme example, obviously, but, um, I'm sure you can relate to the, the fact that it doesn't mean that you're just sitting around watching TV all day. It's just the types of activities are different and oftentimes they cost a little bit less money.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Even, you know, what's an afternoon, a swimming cost at a, a leisure center, like $15 or something for 16 bucks. Like I don't even, it's not even that much money. Right. And that's for a family of, we're a family of five and yeah, or going sledding is free, you know? So Um, awesome. Let's talk about getting married. So this is like, this is one that has a lot of moving parts A wedding. Weddings can be cheap. Weddings can be expensive and people can overspend or people could follow a budget. Um, now you, you, you sent me some show notes ahead of time, which I I read over and I really liked. Um, so let's just, let's just go through this. This will be, um, sort of for those folks listening who are planning a wedding, um and you want to have you have a a dream wedding and you have something in mind like a fantasy of like this perfect day and then it costs money to do almost anything you fantasize about or dream about it's going to potentially uh cost money so let's let's go let's talk about how we get we get a get there like you know if you need that money and you want to be realistic what's the first steps before you uh have your wedding sure i I think
1: being realistic is the first step um, and being re- realistic involves understanding how much money you have to play with and how involved you want to be. Um, so in in my case, for example, when we got married, we wanted to prioritize things like photos and convenience. <laughs> um, and so we spent more of our money on the venue because the venue was going to take care of most things for us and um, in-house catering, all that kind of stuff. So we had less setup, up, take down, you know, organizational things that we had to do, but yes, it cost a bit more money. Um, other people, they want decor and food and all that kind of stuff to be exactly how they want it. And so that's going to involve more personal work and cost. So before you book anything, understand your budget and how much you're playing with, um, first, that's going to be huge. And so from there, uh, Matt, I don't know about from your experience, but how often would you say that parents are involved in paying for things?
0: Um, almost, almost all the time. Um, it's in different, different compa- capacities for sure. Um, and some, some of it I see directly, sometimes the, uh, a couple's parents will pay us directly. Um, but, but, Another another scenarios they'll you know they'll cover the cater or the hotel or or certain things so there's a variety of ways that parents have helped out, um, and then there's lots of couples where um, that isn't an option for them and they're they're spending their own money um, to to get what they want so. Right, I think the main thing
1: there is that for every person it's going to be different probably, and um, sometimes. Maybe you could speak for or against this, but if the parents are paying for something, sometimes it's their priorities that come (laughs) to the top, like a specific venue or the the number of people that come, or you know the suits that the guys get, or whatever the case may be, right? Um, So I think yeah, it's not free money. There's (laughs) strings attached
0: sometimes.
1: (laughs) Okay, well that's another point that I'll maybe jump to there. So um, understanding who is paying for what and how much of it is actually a gift from mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or whomever? Um, or is it a loan? Are they just saying, we'll help you out with this? And exp- and they're expecting it back in some way or another. Okay, so those are huge things because parental loans, those can be a huge point of marital strife as well because it impacts your relationship, but also your relationship with your parents and in-laws. Uh, th- that's not fun. So if you understand who's paying for what at the beginning, then you can set up a plan, if it is a loan, a plan for paying them back on a set schedule, and you can have it on paper, and then all the arguments are done. doesn't mean it's going to be fun to pay back your parents for for something like that, Um, but at least you have it on paper, and there's there's not going to be any uh, arguments about it. So, um, yeah, first, understanding who's paying for what how much your budget is, then um, I'm a fan of spreadsheets. I know spreadsheets kind of freak people out so you can get a notebook or whatever you <laughs> want to do. Yeah, uh, spreadsheets, sp- spreadsheets are great. If you have an iPhone, just go on to Numbers. Numbers is not scary like Excel is. Um, but put in all the different things that you want for your wedding and then do a little bit of preliminary research and put in a potential budget and things that you want to prioritize uh, then you can put in things like when your deposits are due, who pays the remainder and when, uh, but yeah, understanding who's paying for what and what that budget is. Those are the first things for sure. Yeah. I
0: like that. Um, when I was a teenager, my dad refused to borrow me money. And as an adult, like now I'm 34 and I get it now. Like I get how, I think it was a Dave Ramsey quote too. It was like, you know, you don't want the turkey to taste different at Thanksgiving, because you you know because of money like it, it, you don't want to sour your relationships over that so um you know maybe even decide if you even want to borrow that money if, if your parents are offering it um sometimes yeah it's just better to not do that and uh thankfully my dad you know my dad didn't borrow me the the cash when I wanted it and you know it's it's been good for me in the way that I've had to figure out things on my own and get there and and in the past couple of years he's um, you know, now it's kind of different where there's, you know, I have an income and if I need to, like I've, a couple of times I've been like, can I just borrow cash for like, you know, a month here? And then, and then he's done that. And then I've always paid him back. But you know, it was a, I got married when I was 21 and my payback potential was not crazy high. Um, right. <laughs> just because of my income was so much different than it is now. So yeah. Um, I can add one more little tip in here. Sure. And this is a, personal thing but if if you're planning a wedding my my recommend would be don't get everything but to stick in your budget you buy the cheapest of everything pick what's the most important to you and put your money there and decide not to get things you know prioritize a list of things you want and then if it does if you don't have enough money just don't even do them at all like for example if you have a wedding reception and you have you know what a table charger is or a plate charger or charger plate that's what it's called it's like the gold plate that doesn't even do anything. It just you put your food on it. I think those are like two or three bucks a piece to rent, you know. And uh, tablecloths. Um, you know, in our last episode we had a wedding planner on. Her name was Crystal um, McLeod from RCP, and she was saying like, you know, you can. There's there's an order of priority to make it look nice, and but you know you go up bigger. Like you know you have big flowers and stuff like that. You can spend more money on flowers than photography and videography like um it's so like it's it's easy to overspend and uh my recommend would be to um get what get the things you want get get what you want and and put the money there instead of splitting it over everything so you're getting you know not not nothing's really great you just have everything and I think uh, that you might regret that if if you're just kind of spreading it too thin spreading a budget too thin
1: Right. I was, yeah, I was going to mention things like deciding in advance what your splurge items are going to be because, you know, the the best laid plans, right? Everybody, even if you do make a budget, some things are going to be more expensive than you initially thought. And so if you kind of talk about those items at the beginning, like what are going to be your, your big ticket items that you're willing to spend a little bit more on in advance, that'll kind of prevent uh, the, uh,
0: uh, the Sophie's Choice at the end of the day. <laughs> Let's talk about honeymoons. Sure. People, you know, we live in a pandemic world right now, but, um, you know, when when things are kind of back to normal, all those honeymoons that people haven't had, they're going to have. Um, and uh, in a normal world, that that's pretty common that people will either have the honeymoon right after or at least within the first year. Um, you know, a lot of couples save it till winter, but they can be expensive. So what what should couples, you know, do for that,
1: yeah. Okay, so you're going to hear a common refrain here. You're going to talk about it, and you're going to plan for it in advance, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because a honeymoon they can be expensive, but it's going to be expensive whether you plan for it or not. So you might as well plan for it, um, just so that you don't have any surprises. So a, a budget and a conversation limits surprises. Um, and and the worst thing that you could do when starting your marriage is to overspend in a big way uh, before you've even you know, moved in together or like right after the the honeymoon. Uh, And then you're kind of dealing with an unexpected debt right from day one, not a great place to start. So I always recommend kind of like I mentioned before, setting aside a little bit of money every month or every week or every time you get paid or whatever the case may be for specific things. So if that's your honeymoon, do that so that you can uh, have a specific amount of money in advance. Yeah, you're going to overspend a little bit and and have some fun and, and whatever, but that kind of limits the impact of the spontaneity of things that happen on a honeymoon. Uh, another thing that I usually recommend to people is that if you're going to a foreign country, um, again, like you said, Matt, uh, it's not really happening these days, but if you're going to the U.S. or you're really going forward and going out to Europe or something like that, um, I recommend budgeting in the currency that you're going to spend. Uh, I don't need to get into the weeds too far here, but essentially if you're going to the U.S., like we went to Hawaii, for example, and because the value of foreign currency fluctuates so much, um, if you happen to go on a honeymoon at the quote-unquote wrong time and the currency doesn't work in your favor at that point, your honeymoon could end up costing you potentially 15% more Um, hypothetically, than than if you had purchased currency at a different time. So to prevent that issue, I recommend that people save in the currency that they're going to spend. So I have a U.S. dollar account. Most banks offer one for very low cost if anything my bank doesn't charge anything for that and we set aside a little bit of u.s currency every month every two months so that way it limits the cost of getting the timing wrong on your currency exchange and it also helps you budget in advance
0: it sounds like a great tip just to not just do for your honeymoon but to do for your life if if travel is um something you value especially like for my family we've um you know, we, we try to do a trip to the States. We love going to the U S and Hawaii is next on the list. Um, but yeah, like right. we know, we, we know it's a place we like to go. We were supposed to go to Disneyland last month even. And it's like, Oh, you know, and we, we even have a free account, I th- we're with RBC. They have a, it's in our, with our, because we have our mortgage there and everything. It's like, we do have that U S account and we just haven't used it. And Now that you're saying this, I should, I'm like, I should be doing this like even a little bit. And then it's like the American money's there and yeah, you're right. Like it just distributes that risk of going at the wrong time. And I think we went last year and it wasn't so great. And you know, a Starbucks here is like five or six bucks, but in the States it's five or six bucks American, like, you know, not, not everything's, and then if we like to go to the big cities too, and it's like nothing like it's us dollars, but everything's like the same dollar amount like if that makes sense like going out to a restaurant is a hundred dollars easy but that's 100 u.s dollars not just a 100 canadian so uh, and, and things do change a lot like people don't
1: really think about it but we watch currency pretty closely here so in the uh, the thick of the pandemic in, in march there one u.s dollar was you know we could get it for like 65 cents um, or you get 65 cents canadian or sorry, inverse, Uh, one Canadian dollar, you get to 65 cents US. And now it's pretty close to 79 cents. Like it's, that's a huge percentage change, especially if you're spending a lot of money with a family and going out for meals and hotels and all that kind of stuff. Um, So you always want to be careful about the number of times you change your currency over. So, um, you know, if you're, if you don't do what we're talking about here, and you just take out all of your U.S. cash the day before you leave, and then you come back and you have U.S. cash and you put it back in your bank account, the bank takes a little bit um, on each transaction. And so that way, uh, you know, call it 5%. I think it's typically a little bit less than that. But if it's 5% each way, then you end up losing about 10%. So that's a hidden cost that you might not anticipate as well. So if you keep a U.S. dollar account, if you plan on going to the U.S. more often than not, And that way, if you come home with any U.S. cash, then you can just put it right back in that account because you know you're probably going to spend it next year anyway. So you're kind of pre-budgeting for the next one and you don't have to pay the currency exchange rate.
0: Awesome. Um, One thing, I'm going to end it on one more little thing. Um, when, When you spend money that you have, and I'm sure you have more information on this, but this is a Dave Ramsey thing again. Spending money you have, you, you'll spend less than if you don't have it, and there's this psychological thing where people just like go, "What the heck?" and uh, and just like you know, like the thought of like I'll never be here again or whatever. Those kind of things can taint your thinking. You could probably easily spend fifty percent more on the same trip than if you had the cash there. And you're if you have the cash, you're more likely to save and budget. Maybe you get an Airbnb with a kitchen and you go to Costco when you get to your get on your trip, and instead of just like eating out the entire time, and so. Um, you know, having that cash, saving it up, planning for it probably is the biggest part, um, makes, makes a huge difference. And that's a, that's an application you can put everywhere in life. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about it, plan about it. So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to add there?
1: Well, that was kind of leading into like what you mentioned there kind of reminded me of just like the problem in general with spending on credit cards, like you're prone to spending more on credit cards than you are with your debit card or with cash. And so that can kind of be um, a problem in and of itself. However, one specific item that I was going to recommend for people that are getting married and then uh, bringing all their finances together. If you do have credit cards or student loans or uh, car payments or mortgage, things like that, I would really recommend that both of you keep some individual credit items or um, go joint on the mortgage or things like that. So you build up credit in your name. Uh, More often than not, I'm actually seeing the bank of dad covering things like your mortgage and whatnot. And um, life can really get ahead of you and, to the point where you could be in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and never have had any credit. You know, that's a, a good thing. Oh, you're saying like
0: people's, people's parents like sign the mortgage, so they're, you know, the, the family's still paying it, but then the debt, like they're not getting any of the the credit on their, their record, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And so like, it's not that I'm telling people you should have debt because that's a good thing, but one day you might need it. And if the bank... And the credit bureau and whatnot says, well, we don't actually know who you are because you've never had credit before. Uh, they're not likely to give you the amount that you need or want. Or let's talk about the worst case scenario, that one uh, one of you passes away. And if that happens to be the money person, quote unquote, who did all of the saving, all of the, you know, registered all the cars in their name, uh, things like that. If that person passes away, their credit rating does not transfer over to you. And making you then credit worthy. So even little things like each having your own credit card open, spend a little bit, always pay it off. That's always the, you know, the the main thing with credit cards. But if you each have some credit in your name, um, you won't find yourself in really, really significant trouble if the worst should happen.
0: I love it. That's some really strong advice. I really like that. Um, Evan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, how, how can people find you? Yeah, so we're here
1: in Saskatoon. I'm not sure where you have listeners here, Matt, but uh, we're in Saskatoon. Um, you can find us online at Um Our office is in Stonebridge. Obviously, we're closed to the public these days, but um, yeah, we're here in Saskatoon. But our website is easy, um, E-N-N-S-B-A-X-T-E-R.com.
0: Awesome. I'm going to put that link in the show notes. Um, thanks so much for joining me. Um, I thought this would be a really good episode. It's not the, the, uh, you know, we're not talking about flowers and photography and, you know, what meals you should have or what cake you should have on your wedding day, but, you know, setting yourself up for a successful relationship where, you know, the turkey still tastes good when you're sitting there with your parents or, you know, you're not rolling into your first kid with, uh, a $50,000 loan from, uh, you've used to pay for your wedding. You just had, um, you know, I think those are some, some good things that uh, people could avoid there. They'll be much happier. Absolutely. And they'll think more fondly of their, their wedding day uh, because of that. I think so. I would agree. Yeah. These are all good things to keep in mind. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And, uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it.